Galaxy. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, and I'm joined again with Nathan Bell. Nathan, how you doing? Doing well, man. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's awesome that uh, we've now two two episodes in a row you've been with us. Yeah. And uh, hope to have you back again. So tonight we, we have a big review for Ready Player One, which we just saw. And, uh, and I think it's actually out now because uh, yes. they screened it for us two nights ago. Yep. But we're right here in the middle of the week, and we have... Uh, you know, sort of spring break yep. for a lot of people. So the they released the movie on Wednesday. So it's in theaters yes. right now. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's based off of Ernie Klein's book mm-hmm. from a few years back. Yep. It just it deals with virtual reality. It deals yep. with the future. It's sort of a quest narrative, but it's also uh, just chock full of '80s references. Yes. So, <laughs> so in in keeping with that, we probably have a few '80s related things that we're going to talk about here. Uh, before we get started with that, just uh, a couple things regarding the podcast. We've got an episode. We have two episodes basically going up. We have one that Nathan and I did last week for uh, Tomb Raider, and we talk about Ash mm-hmm. versus Evil Dead. So that's out now. We're sort mm-hmm. of releasing two at the same time. And uh, we also have our first episode for Casting the Bones Up. We're going to have another one soon, which is a horror-related podcast, horror and uh, urban legends and things like that, which actually sprang from an episode you and I did. Yes. You remember we around Halloween, yes. we did an episode about campfire stories, yes. and that turned out to be pretty popular. A lot of people requesting to do more of that. So, nice. um, But tonight, we were sitting here having a conversation right before us. <laughs> we basically just decided to turn the microphone on. It's like we need to capture some of this because we – well, for one thing, we have uh, – in this corner, we have Midnight Moon <laughs> – Moonshine, which is explains why Nathan's so giggly. That's tonight. right. <laughs> but this is blueberry moonshine. Yeah, my neighbor handed it to me. I normally don't accept things that have already been, uh, you know, opened. Opened, right? But you know, it's moonshine. What That's more right. could they do to it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I even notice if they put something in this. So it's actually pretty good. What did you think? Yeah, it is. Like you, you get the kind of boozy flavor in it, but you are getting. Like, it reminds me, and, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but it reminds me a little bit of Dimetap. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like someone took, uh, you know, the snow cone yes. syrup and poured it into NyQuil. I yes. mean, but not unpleasant. No, no, it's not. I, I mean, mean with, with some rubbing alcohol, well, you of course, know. Underneath, the, uh, <laughs> underneath of it all. Yeah, no, I, you know, I enjoy it. Like, it's, it's actually nice and smooth. Like, when you think of moonshine, you almost think of, like, you know, putting your fist through the wall to get it down. But this is actually really smooth and, like you said, really pleasant to drink. Um, I have fond memories of Dimetap from when I was a kid, so I, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Dimetap had been a higher alcohol percentage. I say higher because I, I feel like it probably yeah. had some anyway. Uh, then I might have been uh, I might have been on board, and of course they still put it in these little mason jar mm-hmm. kind of deals. So I'm not uh, moonshine for me is sort of an acquired sure. taste. I haven't quite got there yet. It's funny I have a friend who like. Drank no alcohol whatsoever and went like directly to moonshine. I was like, I only drink moonshine. I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> Guess you're making up for lost time. That's right. Um, just maybe start with an O'Doul's, but no, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Belly up to the bar, people. Right. A couple of news things because we've had some stuff that, that kind of uh, – come through this week in terms of uh, new trailers and things like this. And mm-hmm. earlier in the week, we had, this is perfectly in keeping with what we're going to be talking about with all the 80s, sort of uh, the nostalgia flood, yeah. which is the return of the Karate Kid yes. in on YouTube Red, which I yes. feel like YouTube Red has been, it's been a lot of years. I mean, YouTube Red's been around for a bit, and they, they, they always try something every once in a while. Yep. I honestly don't pay attention to a lot of what they've done, though. Now you have, uh, was this Cobra Kai? Yes. And we had, what, three or four years ago? No, no. no Let me, like eight ago. years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago. Yeah. This was when I first started the Critic Gig. We had the Karate Kid remake. Yeah. Which personally, now, 
the fundamental flaw is it should have been called the Kung Fu Kid. Right. But <laughs> that aside, I kind of liked that movie. Yeah, I agree. I thought I thought they did a really good job at bringing Jackie Chan in, who you know was kind of the the Pat Morita character, um, except but, the part where he knows martial yeah, arts. Yeah, exactly. And that's real. what I was just yes. about to say. You know, except he legitimately knows martial arts, and like you can, it, it was interesting because you could actually see him. You know, going up against these little, you know, kung fu snots, you know, and there's a bunch of them trying to come after him and he very easily puts them down. You know, they're not like strapping 20 year old guys who are surrounding him trying to take him out, you know, and so it's funnier to watch Jackie Chan like beat little kids. It really is. (laughs) Well, you you bring up an interesting point. Don't you think I thought so I'm going to put up front here before we talk more about this. I actually don't care much for the original Karate Kid. Like, I I can appreciate it and enjoy it from a sort of nostalgia perspective. I remember very clearly that time and place when martial arts was a huge thing. We were getting, like, Black Belt Magazine and the right. mail. My, my uh, dad and my uncle were into, uh, you know, they were part of Kim's Karate up here in, in Harford County was sort of a thing. Yeah. And the martial arts, you know, here in the States... People were still not knowing exactly what to do with it. Yeah. So you had Karate Kid was this mainstream thing, but it was weird because it's a film where basically you didn't have a lot of convincing karate right. in the movie, not <laughs> right. to my eyes. Right. And that wasn't the only problem. I don't think – and Ralph Macchio was maybe only technically a kid in that yeah. movie. I mean, yeah. more like a karate dude. Right. <laughs> karate team. Pat Morita's <laughs> funny. He's a comedian. I mean, that's right. what his shtick was, but he didn't know martial arts. Right. And I'm not someone who says you have to know martial arts to be convincing in a movie, but I don't know that the fights were that convincing. Yeah, no. I think I think what you find in that is the real typical, like, 80s scenario, like, I punch, you block, yeah. you punch back, and maybe I block well, or maybe a, I get hit. It's a movie introducing people to a zeitgeist that they don't really yeah. understand. Exactly. And because they don't really understand it, they're fine with what they're seeing. Exactly, yeah. And that was – and I think you're, you're absolutely right with that is, you know, this was kind of – this was during an era where you had all these teenage angsty dramas going on. You have Sixteen Candles. And The Breakfast, Breakfast Club, Club. Yeah, and Ferris all that Bueller, stuff. all that kind of thing. And this was kind of a u- unique way to present that same thing in there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't dislike it. I think yeah. it's a fine movie. And I'm honestly, maybe I'm just a curmudgeon. I mean, <laughs> I do like 80s movies, but I tend to like more of the schlocky stuff. Sure. Uh, the Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller aren't really at the top of my list yeah. either. Um, they t- they don't feel very – they don't feel authentic. Mm. I don't know. Like I don't sure. feel like even teens in the 80s were like this. I mean they were yeah. dreams of a teen maybe. Right. And I, and I think that's more what it was getting to was you know, the John Hughes – you know, the the satirization of the teen culture at that time. That it's not this isn't what it necessarily is, but this is a this is a hyperbole yeah. or a satire of They it. may be hard and, and to be fair, I was a kid when these movies were released. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a I was a kid more than Rob Macchio was a kid. Uh, <laughs> they were they weren't my speed at that point. I kind of overlooked them when I became when I was a teenager I was a teenager yeah. in the nineties, not the eighties. Yeah. So Seeing them as adult, they just don't ring true. Mm. Uh, but now, don't you feel? I felt like the Karate Kid remake. It actually made more sense for him to be a younger kid. Like yeah. it felt more. Uh, I could kind of deal with. Okay, he's getting beat up, and yeah. he wants some self esteem. It just it it seems kind of cheesy when sure. they're high school age people, and yeah, and almost twenty somethings, and he's still getting his butt handed to him, yeah. and like you know, and he can't find another way out of it. You know, yeah. And and, and Jaden Smith is going on to prove that he's not. A right. versatile actor. Right. But I don't think he was bad in that movie. No, I agree with you 100%. In fact, that was one of the most surprising things to me about the, the new Karate Kid that came out with him was that was his performance in that movie. And, and physically, too. Yeah. He, he felt like he was doing the stuff that he yeah. was doing. And I think he actually did. I think he legitimately trained and got himself prepared to do this. And No, don't get me wrong. They still have to answer for After Earth. Well, right. But, uh, that, that, was, that was, I think that killed, <laughs> I think I killed it for him. And I don't, I, I feel that might have been unfair because I think that was, that was Shyamalan's fault. Right. You, you can't film a young, inexperienced actor in extreme close-up right. for 90 minutes of a film while his dad sits, sits on the side <laughs> in a corner right. his, who's supposed to be the charisma of the two. Right. Uh, that movie stacked the deck against him. Yeah. But I like the remake better than the original, but now they've yeah. decided 
that we're not even going to, like, we're forget just cash in on a name. We're going to cash in on the full <laughs> nostalgia right. because this thing is, like, going back. This is, like, remember when Lost Boys 2 came out? Yes. Oh and it was, God. like, they weren't even <laughs> pretending they were a good movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and God rest him, he's passed now. Corey Haim, clearly on drugs. Right. Clearly on drugs, like, even in his small cameo. And they were just, we're going for it. Right. And, uh, I mean, Corey Feldman, I think they made two of them. Two, yeah. Lost Boys 2 and 3. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty horrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this doesn't look that far off the mark. It's, it's yeah. better. I'm sure it's better than those movies. Well, but. see, and this is this is what I can say is that one, the thing that I love about Karate Kid is the horror, the, that it is so horrible. For me, like Karate Kid... Once I got to the point where I realized how bad it was, because as a kid I just saw, oh, cool, martial arts, and I was into martial arts as a kid. But once I got beyond that point, for me, the the prize, the, the jewel and the crown, as it were, were getting together with my friends and watching this for for pure irony and totally just making fun of it. <laughs> well, and that's true of most of the 80s films in general, and yeah. probably doubly true of 80s martial arts movies. Yes. Um, there's probably a handful. It's funny because the ones that are really good were already making fun of themselves. Mm-hmm. While in some cases having some interesting... Like one of the movies I think of the 80s, we we did a whole podcast on it actually, that yeah. probably to me does the one of the best jobs of bringing what was happening overseas, yeah. like with the wire work and a lot of the wuxia stuff, was Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. And it, it brought in the mythos. Nobody, well, I don't say nobody. Um, some of the actors in that movie knew martial arts. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell clearly didn't. Right. But Kurt Russell's character also clearly didn't. Right. So uh, <laughs> that's a fantastic movie. I still think that stands kind of heads and heads oh, above yeah. most of it for like, the problem was Carpenter was doing what people later did with The Matrix, and he just, I don't think people were ready for it. Like, really yeah. a translation of what of what you would see in the uh, in China and in the markets there. Right. That kind of movie right. brought here, people just weren't ready for it. They didn't really understand it. But right. to me, that's still one of the best. Yeah. Oh, no, and I would agree. And I think there are several others that stand up in that kind of, Genre. I mean, to to me, you know, I think of like Rima Williams in that vein as the well. The Fred Ward movie. Yeah, I think exactly. we talked about that one at yeah. the same place. That's a fun movie too. Yeah. And uh, and we were discussing. And I don't want to because you, Nathan, you're over on uh, these go to eleven. I think you guys were just doing a piece on martial artists. Yeah. <laughs> Can you be how? What does it matter if you're an actor who learns martial arts right. or martial arts person who tries to get into acting and uh, works out for very few of them? Right. Right. But. We were talking about uh, Ernie Reyes Jr., yeah. who, when I was a kid, we're about to sit here and talk nothing but 80s nostalgia when we get to Ready Player One. And yeah. when I was a kid, I distinctly remember Sidekicks being on television, yeah. which was about a, a little uh, uh, Chinese boy yep. who – does he come to the States? Is that how the story works? He's with his grandfather, I think. And I think is, so. Yeah, and, that sounds right. There's some intrigue. And I think he ends up with his father who uh, who is not Asian. Mm-hmm. And they it, – it's like his father's a cop. And right. he has martial arts ability, minus the fact that Ernie Reyes is like what, like ten years ten, old yeah, or something, something like, like that. But he's helping his dad like solve these cases. And I think it was originally a TV movie that was supposed to go on to become a TV series. I don't know. Did it ever? I don't know if it ever materialized. Yeah, it was. So it was basically it was a spinoff of the the Walt Disney one time special, The Last Electric Night. Um, Ernie Reyes Jr., Ernie Lee, The Last Electric Night, and Gil Gerard as Sergeant Jake Rizzo, um, who played the the father. Okay. Yeah. So the sidekicks thing was called The Last Electric Night? This was the title? The, that movie, that Disney okay. original movie was The Electric Night. Okay. Yeah. And then um, the series was Sidekicks. So, yeah, I mean, it was aired as part of the, the Friday Night Primetime lineup from 86 to 87. Because um, I remember season. being Wonderful World of Disney, yep. which was a thing. Remember when Wonderful yeah. World of oh, Disney yeah. was a thing? That was awesome. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite shows from that was the 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 Lost Dinosaur, the Last Baby, Baby, the, Baby, the, the Secret baby, of the yeah. Lost Legend. Yes. Now we're going. So, Baby, the Secret of the Lost yeah. Legend was did play on a Wonderful World of Disney, but yeah. it also came to theaters. It has a distinction of being the first movie. No, R- Return of the Jedi is the first movie I ever saw in the theater, but. Baby was we didn't go to the movies very often as, as kids. There were yep. four of us, and parents just never had the money. But right. on my birthday, so it was probably around this time. It was probably around this time in 1985 that the movie came out. Yeah, uh, it's pretty bad. 
I tried to watch it recently. <laughs> I loved it as a kid. But yes. those dinosaurs, like, there's clearly, like, a couple of dudes inside right. of, like, a sack <laughs> running around with a dinosaur head on a pole. I mean, right. even my daughter's like, what's wrong with the dinosaurs? Uh, they have rigor mortis, honey. Don't worry about it. They're back from the dead. It's been That's a very right. long time. And it's it's funny because even though I think I may have seen one or two movies with friends and the only time that my family went to the theater together as a group, mm-hmm. the next time we went to the theaters from 1985 was Jurassic Park in 93. 93. Thankfully, the dinosaurs had improved yes. quite a bit between those two movies. But yeah, that um, that's a blast from the past. Uh, it's kind of messed up, too. I uh, There are some unhealthy attitudes towards women. They machine gun the brontosaurus. <laughs> It's like, well, there's no, you don't have to worry about any political correctness here. That's right. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd recommend that movie. We're way off track here. So what did you think? Because I I barely remember enough about Karate Kid to even like, like I I, I get the gist here, which Mm -hmm. is that you've got one of the... The, the bad kid that he fought in the yeah. original movie. He's grown up and right. he's laying on the ground, yeah. which I'm thinking like Ash, you know, or yes. Bruce Campbell. He's laying on the ground with a beer in his hand. I'm like, is this really? So, so, but it's funny because, so, Ralph Macchio is supposed to have his stuff together, but he's a used car salesman. I'm like, what are we trying to say here? And it, like, I'll give the show credit that it seems to be trying to present this guy in a slight, in a somewhat positive light. Right. But he's like trying to legitimately teach martial arts, but right. he's, He's just right. It is kind of that Bruce Campbell sort of like yes. look at this schmuck and look at what he's doing. <laughs> um, it does. Does it look? Do you think it will have outside of being like a man? I got to see this because I remember this. Do you think it's going to have any value? I I don't. But that's exactly why I want to see it because, <laughs> quite honestly, like I'm 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 hoping that I'm surprised with it. Like I'm not I'm not going into it with with high expectations, but I'm hoping that. It's doing the things that are it's showing is intentional to divert from what it will really be. Um, I'm hoping that what it'll really be is something that's actually pretty decent. That YouTube isn't just kind of you know flubbing this out there, and and they're not just trying to cash in. Like I feel like Fuller House, and and I've totally bought into the Fuller House thing. Like I've watched all the yeah. seasons, and you know I'm I'm being transported back to my Full House days, and you know. And I'm going to continue to watch the seasons as long as they continue to pull them out. But I will admit that that is not a great show. Um, I'm simply watching it because I'm watching it. Um, uh, that's why I watch the X Files. Yeah, you know. And so <laughs> yeah, I used to watch the X Files, so I still watch it. But I'm actually I'm hoping from some of the things that I've seen, I can tell you that the martial arts have definitely tightened up and improved. Like the little cafeteria fight scene that you see, pieces of that, like. Some of the things in there, I'm like, okay, well, at least at least we've stepped up the martial arts aspect a notch, and we've kind of. Well, I think you'd have to at this point. Right, at least it right. looks like it looks like <laughs> blows are connecting, right? And that someone knows where to place their foot, yeah. And at least fighting stances are correct. I mean, yeah. you stand on a log and put your arms in the air, right? But <laughs> so I'm I'm actually I'm hoping that it actually delivers a decent story to it. I mean, because I think I think the potential is there to to improve. And you're going to laugh at this, but improve on the Karate Kid. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think it's well, there. I hope there's a do. lot of room. I, the, the, the problem I have, well, not the problem, but my concern is when I look at it, it looks like one of those things that would, like, and honestly, I almost had to check the date. I'm like, <laughs> are you guys releasing this a week early on purpose? Because, like, April 1st, I'm like, you get around this time in the spring, yeah, and you're like, this yeah. looks great. And I'm like, Jen tries to show it to me, and I'm like, did we jump a week? Right, right. I mean, this is real. Well, it's almost like the um, the, the Dundee trailers that came out. I would rather watch the Dundee than the the Cobra Kai movie. And that's my own hypocrisy. (laughs) Crocodile Dundee's horrible too. But I I enjoyed both of those movies. Now, the difference between Karate Kid and Crocodile Dundee, I have not gone back, and I probably won't, to Crocodile Dundee on purpose. I could probably recite you lines from both films. The second one, I like the second one. Well, I can tell you right now, my wife and I, at least once a year, we pull out Crocodile 1, 2, and 3, and we just... We just no, watch them back to back to back. The, the three is the one we get to Los Angeles, <laughs> yes. right? Now, now, be honest with me. How good is that one? Because I never saw it. Compared compared to the other two, it's not. I would say two is definitely my favorite. One, um, I carry a lot of 
childhood nostalgia from one into it. But I mean, it's still a fun movie. I mean, come on, the the, the iconic line, that's not a knife, this is a knife. I mean, like, you know, you, you've got some really classic iconic lines that come out of one. Two, that's I all you like, have, well, <laughs> really. It's one-liners. Two, I feel like, was a solid movie and it was a fun solid movie. And then three kind of was just like, Paul Hogan's old, you know, Linda Kozlowski's old. <laughs> I give him credit and we're for coming gonna, back and doing yeah, it. Yeah, and we're just going to do it and we're going to have fun with it. And it was it was fun. I, you know, I enjoyed it. I laughed at it. But it is nowhere – like you feel like this is a movie that was made in 2001, I think, 2001, 2002. 2001. So, yeah, it, it came out in 2001. Yeah. I was in college at Towson at the time. I remember we went to the theater – Around the weekend this movie opened, and it was a wasteland yeah. for movies. Like, I can even still tell you, the movies were so, they were so bad that I still remember what was playing. And it was like, <laughs> we were trying to find a movie to watch, it was like, Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> like, remember, yeah, you remember when Tom Green was a thing, yes. right? For like two months. And then there was, uh, there was... Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, and I just thought to myself, I can't destroy my childhood with this. And then I, it was so bad; the choices were so bad that we went to see a movie called The Visitors, which I don't know if you remember was about Jean Reno played a French medieval knight that had come yes. forward in time. Yes, movie was terrible, but I still feel confident we probably that was saw the, the best, best movie at the. I still remember the lady was trying to feed his little surf like the uh, his, 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 yeah. his, his scraps from the table, and he goes in and he's eating the urinal cakes out of the out of the. The urinals. Ah, oh, wow. Oh, that was a mess. <laughs> this, it just looks like almost it's the funnier die skit of itself, and it's going to have to prove that it's a little bit more than right, that. Right, right. And, and, that's, and that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it doesn't go the Saturday Night Live route and become a parody of itself. I'm hoping that it actually brings something to the table that's worth watching. It looks like it's trying to be legit. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Um, I don't know. When, when does it When does it drop? It drops soon, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it is. It's within the next month, I believe. Um, let me see. I'll let you keep talking. Because we, no. we were talking about a couple other things, too, as I'm looking this up. Well, and and then from the perspective to May second, May second. Okay, yeah. so it, it's so soon, and we've got a lot of nostalgia stuff coming back. I was never a, a fan personally that much. Uh, we, my family, watch it, but Roseanne is back now. Oh yeah, and, and uh, uh, it looks like they've tried to at least legitimately update this and keep the characters and like, okay, how would they behave in these right, right. modern times for better or worse? I just don't know that I want to see it personally. Yeah, I love John Goodman though. So yes. God, Goodman's like the the thing that could draw me back. And uh, honestly, they were, they had a good working rapport on the show. They felt real. And I almost feel like, like I remember watching him on Roseanne and I almost feel like after he got out of that, like a lot of the stuff he did was better. Like I've, I enjoyed him post Roseanne. And so I'm hoping he takes like the stuff that he's done recently and his, you know, his acting chops and the stuff that he's gotten to and brings that with him into that. That could be interesting. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know anything about it. I've, I'm more keen on watching it maybe than say full house only because I was never really a full house. I'm like, okay, seems like they're trying to do something here. Right. Um, Couple '80s martial arts movies. We were talking about the last <laughs> couple, really crazy out there. Like I was more like the American Ninja sort of stuff. Yeah. I want to see somebody. You know, there has to be a monkey in the film. Yeah. There has to be a scene where somebody drops like <laughs> what was it, a tank or something yes. attached to uh, attached to parachutes yes. down on a crate into the middle of a battlefield and do it completely unironically, unlike say Hot Shots, right? Um, stuff like that. Or so the two that we were. Talking about two yeah. movies completely crazy. We have to do some sort of like schlocky movie night with yes. this. Is Ninja Three the domination? Yes. So two things. There there was a big deal in the in the eighties. Well, yeah. there's two. We done Crocodile Dundee. And when you got to a sequel, just add drug dealers. Yes. Remember Short Circuit Two had drug dealers. <laughs> uh, Crocodile yes. Dundee has drug dealers, yes. and at one point they kidnap Linda Kozlowski yeah. and take yeah. her. Keith walks into the bar and yes. he's like. Well, you can tell next time someone asks you what you did Saturday night, you can say, well, we were here all night. Right. Or you could say we helped the lunatic storm a fortress. Right. And or no movie in the series resembled the one before it. Yes. So I remember there were the Howling movies about werewolves and like Howling 3 was about marsupial werewolves yeah. in Australia. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. There's a series called House. Uh, they have House 1, House 2. There is no House 3. They skipped right to House 4. I have no idea why. Uh, this Ninja 3 is on – because the series is basically 
ninjas were huge in the eighties. Oh yeah, the end. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty much what what it was, you know. And like one and two, you know, kind of have an inner threading storyline, and then you get to three, and it's kind of this huge separate thing from itself. And it's a possession movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then you get to four, and again, it's completely different. So you know, it's yeah. It, but three, she's possessed. the The main character is possessed by the spirit of an ninja, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's there's what it an is. exorcism scene, isn't there? Yes, yeah. It, it, it is. It's this like whole like weird. And like if you, so you said you never saw one, right? I don't think so. I okay. just assumed that they called it Ninja Three right. to sound cool. No, well, it's funny because Ninja One actually featured Ed Parker. Early oh, okay. Ed Parker, and so like he actually played like the the bad ninja, but it was like you have all these like flying kite ninjas going around, and awesome. you have like the gold okay, ninja I'm sold with and like kite ninjas. Yeah, like, <laughs> so like you you have a lot of this stuff, and yeah, three comes in, and you've got this weirdly possessed one. Now I will say I'm not as familiar with three because I didn't uh, I didn't see it as much as I saw the others, but yeah, it's just. It's so funny when you when you say that. Like, yeah, you know, you're almost interweaving these two connected storylines, and then the third one just decides, nah, just th- throw it all in there and let's do something totally well, different. Had this series <laughs> survived into the '90s, it would have been set in space. <laughs> There's no way I'm, I'm convinced that that would be. It would have been. It would have ended up in space. Just like just like Leprechaun and Freddy. Leprechaun, did. Leprechaun Freddy, Critters. Well, yeah. Critters came from space. I could kind of get that, but like everybody ends up on a spaceship. Yes, eventually. I mean, oh man, had, had, I, I'm really surprised that Ernest never made it to space. I'm just saying. he didn't. Are you I, sure about see, that? yeah, you know what? The minute I came out of my mouth, <laughs> I thought I should probably fact check that. We were just one short of Ernest Goes to Hell. Uh, you know right. that. <laughs> Ernest, versus, Ernest versus Jason. Yes, right, right. That it was well, Ernest Scared Stupid was the hard time. But I wanna say he didn't go to space, but I'm right. gonna need to do some research. <laughs> we gotta um the last one I'll mention, so Ninja the Domination, it's a good movie. It's a, okay, it's a fun right. B-movie. It's a fun B-movie. It's, it, it goes so crazy. It's the idea yeah. to have someone possessed by a ninja. Right. And, of course, you have Hot Chick possessed by ninja. Right. So it's like, how can we combine all these things? It's, again, I think we talked about Tomb Raider. It's like someone put a cap on a 12-year-old's brain and yes. extracted a movie. That's what this is. <laughs> the Last Dragon is, a, is, yes. is probably the movie that I prefer – to the Karate Kid. Sure. In a sense, you've got a young guy who's kind of bullied, who learns martial arts uh, and has to stand up. Yep. But the kind of funny thing is it's like the African-American version, right. but very tongue-in-cheek. Right. It's, uh, With like it's the got a lot of – oh, Yeah, it's got a lot of music in yep. it. Um, it's got a whole – I mean the stuff going on in it is – is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you've got Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem, <laughs> who has lines like, kiss, get down and kiss my converse. And the glow, which yes. is the power that they, yes. you know, kind of like, it's that martial arts right. uh, zen right. thing that they have to tap into. The main character's name is Bruce Leroy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I think I, it, it's it's very entertaining. The martial arts scenes are fun. There are a couple. We talked. Ernie Reyes Jr. is yes. in this too, in a couple scenes. They have, but it's off the wall. Oh, it's yeah. nuts. But it's pretty much entertaining from beginning to end. I feel like. Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I, I mean, I'll say flat out, like it is. It has been years since I've seen it, but I remember watching it when I was a kid and enjoying it as a kid, and you know, into like the preteen. Um, kind of error. So it has been, you know, years. But, you know, the one scene I always remember is the one at the very beginning where his master's like shooting arrows at him and he's sitting there like dodging around and, you know, he makes a mistake with something and then he just throws himself at the feet and the master just kind of looks at him and he's like, get a hold of yourself. And, yeah. you know, but there was so much going on in this movie. Uh, well, Vanity was in it too, mm-hmm. who, who later went on work for Prince and then. Uh, it opens with like rhythm of the night or something, yes. and there are there are many dance yes. scenes in this movie because I think if I remember correctly, I want to say this was produced by like um, Quincy Jones or something like that. Like yeah, 
Well, and like you were talking about, you know, you have all these dance scenes, which is where he first meets the girl is in in, in a dance club. She's there. Uh, they're there hanging out. And that's where he first meets her um, is in the is in that area. Yeah. I mean, this is a Barry Gord, Barry Gordy produced movie. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Old, but the I I think one of the things that really stands out to me is the yep. Shogun of Harlem. Oh, yeah. And because the first William H. Macy's in there, too, in a small <laughs> little role. Uh, I mean, you've got Chaz Palminteri, you've got all these people that you don't normally see, but Julius Carey, who, if you, if you ever watched the, uh, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., yep. Julius Carey played Lord Bowler, who yes. was basically, uh, he and Bruce Campbell, their, their camaraderie is what makes that, oh, yes, that, that show. And he was really good in it, uh, he's now since passed on, but he's really good in this movie, he's oh, the yeah. bad guy, and you almost, you almost want the movie to be about him. Like, yes. I, like you yes. want to kind of see him win. Yes. Yes. Like, he's, uh, most movies, you're sort of like, oh, he's a villain. We have to dispatch him. But, I mean, yeah, shown off the, the, the Shogun of Harlem. Totally check the movie out. If you have any, if you enjoy The Karate Kid, if you have any inclination towards that. But, man, we've probably talked about 30 minutes about this, I know, this right? alone. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have much more to say about anything else. We're sitting here talking about 80s nostalgia, so it's probably a good time to move into talking about Ready Player One. Yeah, I agree, man. So uh, I think we are in probably the right mood for this as well because we we what we spent like what like two hours at the like yes. mall food court <laughs> which is again you're pretty much like you're in the eighties right there. Uh, right. <laughs> talking about we talking about everything uh, at one point we came around we were talking about Striper. Yes. Which is a really bad <laughs> Christian metal band, band that yeah. we've learned has a new album. Yes, and still apparently making music. Now all that I think set the stage nicely for walking into this movie. Uh, I, I have to say, so it's directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, we did. Still, one of the things I think was one of the best things we did is Pop Culture Ninja was the Spielberg series yes. where we went through in preparation. I think for BFG, and we talked all about Spielberg fantastical. stuff. Yeah, his fantastic kind of not not every movie he made, right? But even so, only to most fantastical stuff and only the stuff he directed. It was yes. still like four podcasts long. I know it was right? still <laughs> super long, and I still really and I still really enjoy most of what Spielberg does in the main. Yes. I I I know not everyone loved it, but I still I think you did too. We liked the BFG. Oh yeah, absolutely. we thought it was a good movie. Uh, this movie's clearly in his wheelhouse, but my big concern is that we are in an overload. It's fun to sit here and talk about 80s nostalgia, and mm-hmm. it's fun to remember things from when you were younger. But we, it definitely has become a crutch, I think. Yeah. Like, people don't know exactly what to do with it. Uh, they either want to replicate it, like, I'm going to make a movie and make it look just like the 80s. So yeah. you remember the 80s. Or we'll fill this with so many references that you're basically... Uh, um, Seth does a podcast with me on Casting Bones and one Phantom Galaxy. It commented that this movie looks like, hey, I remember that, right. <laughs> the movie. And it's, uh, you know, it's almost like 80 seen it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he's not wrong. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, I don't know if you ever saw it. That was a yep. movie that just, it, it like rolled around in that sort of sensibility. Yes. Which, and it was just, it was references for the sake of references. They, yes. didn't, they didn't matter yeah. to the story. Yeah. It was just a way to make people who felt vindicated that I've seen a lot of crap. Right, right. Wow, I understood every reference. Congratulations. You lived in a video store from 1985 (laughs) to 1995. Uh, But, you know, that kind of reference for the sake of itself, Mm -hmm. I think probably reached a culmination in Klein's book, which is a legitimate science fiction story, has a quest narrative to it, Mm -hmm. is trying to imagine a world Mm -hmm. where virtual reality isn't really taking us any place but backwards. Right. In a right. sense. Like, you know, so I thought that's an interesting, but at the same time, he's trying to make some statement about a, a, a culture obsessed with nostalgia. Right. He's crammed his book. Yes. Sometimes you're just reading, I mean, it's like reading those passages of the Bible where someone's beget, 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 right, right. except put in Roger Rabbit, right. Indiana Jones, <laughs> and, you know, right. and then something r- random like a Boglin, you right, know, right. something that nobody would remember. It's right. like He-Man and then GoBots. Yes. And I think you were telling me GoBots did make an appearance I think it in did, the book. Yeah. And so it was so stuffed full, and it's hard to read something like that. After a while, you just are sort of like, just please stop. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, You and I lived through the 80s. Right. We get it. We understand. And that probably is the biggest 
tension point with this movie is like, am I just going to watch two and a half? Because it's close to two and a half hours. It long. is, yeah. Am I going to watch two and a half hours of eighties uh, of, of, of references? Yeah. And of course, and we got Spielberg. It's like Spielberg made half of the stuff right. that would probably be in this movie. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that a little weirdly indulgent? So yeah. all these things are at play. Now, to be fair, I'm watching the trailers, and I can't, I can't. Deny when I see the trailers, the Iron Giant walk over hill. I'm like, oh, come on, man! Right, that's pretty cool, but come on, man! <laughs> right. uh, but so we've got this movie. We went in, we went to see it, and I'm just, I, I, I was really worried that we, were, you know, what can Spielberg possibly do? The other thing is Spielberg doesn't feel like that kind of director who's really about, uh, like, obviously he enjoys nostalgia. All of his movies are built off a certain sense of nostalgia. Right. We right. just don't. Uh, in the nineteen when when Raiders of Lost Ark comes out, nineteen thirty serials are so far beyond us right. that we're not quite not realizing. Fair. Hey, this right. is an all an homage. This right. is all a pastiche of other things. Uh, he didn't he didn't direct it, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I mean, yeah. that's that's heavily. If there's a movie that has a correlation to this one, it's probably that one. Yeah, Roger I would Rabbit. Agree with that. But yeah. so, Nathan, what did you think going into this one, or what did you think yeah. seeing this one? Yeah. So, well, let me start with that mindset because I think that's I think understanding the mindset of going into the movie is important, and then getting to what the movie delivered. Um, because I was with you, I was thinking, how are you going to translate literally, you know, pages of just. It, what seems like just talking about 80s things, and it almost seems like listing them at in some places. Oh, it is. I mean, some places it is. How, how are you going to translate that into the movie? Like, how are you going to pick certain things from that? And so I, let, let me just say that I was very, very pleasantly surprised to find that, in my opinion, that wasn't the case. That this wasn't just like we're going to throw up all these 80 references and we're going to see what sticks that the story, the the story that Spielberg told with this, it flowed. I, I, I keep telling people that it is, it is similar to the book in that it retains the spirit and essence of what the book was trying to do. I firmly believe that without taking page for page, what the book did and putting it on screen. Um, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed coming out of the movie being like, you know what? That had the feel of the book that I read. And that's cool. I, I like that because I enjoyed the book. And I wanted the book – I wanted the movie to be successful based on what the book had done. And I think Klein coming in and being one of the screenwriters for this really had a hand in translating the vision of the book and bringing it out onto the screen and doing a good job at pulling the important pieces out because I know that there are some authors who will who will join into the to the writing of the the movie and really they're not able to translate necessarily their vision from the book into the the, the movie into on screen and I feel like he did a good job with that and he brought that to life and Spielberg brought that to life for us. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, see. To me, this movie ultimately ends up being a better version of the story Climate was trying to. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those few cases where the the adaptation is better than the source mm-hmm. material because I saw what Climate was doing, but I just couldn't. I the the book ultimately exhausted me and burned me out on all the references because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you're telling like you're telling about half a story here, right. and you're leaning so much on these other things that your story, you've shot your story in the foot of ever being iconic, really iconic. I mean, mm-hmm. it even dubs itself as like the pop culture right. epic or something, and it's like, I don't know, is that what we want to aspire to? Do we right. want to aspire to be? I mean, <laughs> you, someone out there, we've got the internet, that's the that's the cop, cop, yeah, that's the pop culture repository right. right there, the internet. You know, we've got all this stuff. Spielberg makes this an actual movie that has to function like an adventure movie. And not just an adventure movie, but a kind of 80s Amblin adventure movie. And what Mm -hmm. I kind of really like about the Ready Player One is that Spielberg never never completely directed a movie like this one before. Mm -hmm. In terms of like the way it plays, the, the notes it hits, these are closer to things like Joe Dante movies from the 80s, like yep. Gremlins and Explorers, yep. uh, Robert Zemeckis, uh, you know, the, the Back mm-hmm. to the Future movies. Um, 
And then, and then, of course, the Goonies. Yes, which uh, which wasn't which was directed. Yep. Uh, so Richard Donner directed the Goonies. Yeah, Spielberg's this movie has more of that tone, that kind of adventure movie that Spielberg himself always, you know, never quite directed. We had E.T., we had Raiders of the Lost Ark, but this kind of movie with a bunch of kids doing something, uh, you know, going on a kind of quest where a lot of things happened, where it was. It going in and out of sentimental emotion yep. emotions and having a lot of kind of goofy humor right. and having a lot of big action scenes. Spielberg himself directed very few of those movies. As yeah. we found out when we were recounting, we're like, you got E.T., right. which in its own way was a little different. It was, yep. it was a precursor to a lot of those movies. But he didn't direct a lot of the movies that people sort of just associate right. with Spielberg. And this felt like... He made a movie that could very comfortably fit in yeah. to that Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah. into that uh, Joe Dante, because Dante did a whole lot of referencing things. In the uh, Gremlins 2 is nothing right. but a giant <laughs> pestis of references. And I feel like Ready Player One, the film, yeah. what Spielberg does with it, falls more into this camp, where it's trying to understand... Or remind us why nostalgia has a benefit, why it can be yeah. important, but then also why it could be detrimental to us, why it could keep us stuck in our tracks and keep yeah. us spinning our wheels and keep us from making our future, if you will. We, we, yeah. we live so much in the past that we're just regurgitating what happens. And I think that's an important distinction. We should probably talk a little bit about what the movie's actually about. Right. But this isn't a movie that is just throwing pop culture at you. Yeah. It's about it's really about a dystopia right. that has decided to worship at the altar of nostalgia. Right. Well in and in all fairness, the thing that drives that is, you know, the the contest that is set before them. I don't think you're giving anything away. I mean it sets off immediately into the movie and immediately into the book that there is a contest and people are looking to gain control of this virtual world by winning this contest. And the, yeah, you have two worlds. The, the right. virtual world is now an entire reality called the Oasis, yep. which in, in some senses, if you're someone who, who remembers being a kid in the 80s and then the 90s and then seeing the advent of the Internet, that's what the Internet felt like, yes. chat rooms and all stuff. It felt like you were in, yeah. you know, you're in the Oasis. Yep. And I, I, there's Klein's kind of referencing that sort of feel. Right. This is really... I mean, it was all on the nose when the trailers played, you know, the land of pure imagination from Willy Wonka. Right. But this is, this is a remake. And if AI was Spielberg's Pinocchio, this is Spielberg's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie yeah. and the Chocolate Factory. You've got this strange, mysterious creator yep. who's got this grand world and he's going to send these people on right. a hunt. And the person who proves to be worthy gets to have the right. whole thing. He gets, right. gets and it And the all. only way you're going to make it through this hunt is if you get inside the mind of the creator who is immersed in the 80s. Like yeah. That is, that is his brain. Everything, and that's a good point. The yeah. people in this film, these young people, are obsessed with these references, not because they mean anything to them. They, right. they weren't even alive for it, which right. I think is you and I and most of the people watching this film might be. Right. But – these characters don't know the 80s outside of the fact that this creator, this uh, this person who built this thing they love, loved these things. Yeah. So it's almost – it's even two steps removed. Right. They love this stuff because he loved this stuff and then he made a thing they love. Right. And I mean that's probably not that far removed from what we find ourselves sort of in. Yeah. But it's a science fiction movie. And you've got two – Spielberg realizes both worlds very interesting. You yes. have the stacks, which isn't isn't the whole world, but it's where our main character yeah. lives, uh, Ty Sheridan, who's playing Wade Watts. Yep. And I really like the, this actor. He's a young actor. He's yeah. been in a lot of movies, uh, but they've been smaller indie movies mm-hmm. for the most part. I think I first noticed him. It might have been his first movie. Uh, was The Tree of Life, Terrence Malick's A Tree of mm-hmm. Life in like 2011. But he's grown into a decent actor. He mm-hmm. fits that kind of fresh-faced yeah. kid uh, thing that Spielberg often goes to. The outside world here, the stacks are just a whole bunch of apartments sort of just basically they're little containers stacked yes. on top of each other. Yeah. And everyone is smashed so closely. And the one thing you can absolutely see is that everyone has just given up any sense of ambition. Yes. There's no sense of trying to achieve anything. Yeah. 
It's all about getting away. It's right. all about it, – it, people are so intent upon living in this other world that they have given up. You, you can't right. tell chicken and egg what right. happened first. You gave up your future for the past and it turned into this or it was so bad that you had no right. no uh, qualms about just retreating yeah. into this like dreamscape. The Oasis is a whole world. Now, I, I'm always a little bit disappointed or, or – I don't disappoint is the right word. I'm always a little surprised when we have this world where, where the character says at the very beginning, the limit is your imagination. Right. And then we see a ton of stuff that we already know. Right, right. And uh, that was, you know, the Matrix is kind of like that. By the yeah. time you get to the end of the first Matrix and they've broken all the rules and you're just, Matrix 2 is going to be crazy because right. they could be robot. They can be whatever they want. Right. They can have jetpacks and wings and fly. Now, none of that happened right. in Matrix 2. They still did Kung Fu. <laughs> right. <laughs> just for right. whatever reason because it's what sold the first movie. So it's funny that when you get a world where someone exclaims that the sky's the limit, right. you never see that visualized. So yes. basically these characters choose to basically recreate things they already know. Right. So they recreate those nostalgic moments. You there's have. people building Millennium Falcons right. and building a replica of the Iron Giant, right. which I'm so happy that the Iron Giant gets a, a role in here because <laughs> there's some vindication. And that's what nostalgia is about a lot, right. vindicating and saying, hey, other people love the same crap I love. Right. Uh, not that the Iron Giant is anyway crap. I, I lo- the Iron Giant's a great movie. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I remember when it came out in 99, though. It was like... Uh, I don't know if it was because they played Scorpion's Rock Me Like a Hurricane in the trailers, <laughs> but nobody went to see that movie initially. And then within about a year or two, yeah, people discovered it. it. On. And I, I like that it's here. But, yeah. I mean, the the thing is, this movie, and I think this is down to Spielberg, it doesn't have a lot of concern about just wanting to be clever. Right. I, right. He's not sitting there saying, oh, they'll really like this reference or that reference. Right. There's some of that. Klein probably is the person who's trying to orchestrate make sure that right. happens. But Spielberg seems to really be trying to get the texture right about what was it like? What was it like in the 80s and what was it like to remember? What is yeah. it like to remember something yeah. that you may have never actually been a part of? Right. And because of the way he does that, he keeps the story pretty spare and pretty much centered around these characters. And he keeps the tone. Uh, what's more nostalgic about this movie than the references is the tone of the film, which yes, feels more like an 80s movie. Yeah. But without having all the digitized right. electronic synth music, it doesn't have any of that stuff. Right. Without that, it has the spirit of what they were they were getting at. Yeah. It, it almost feels like a two-hour expansion of like Amazing Stories, the TV yes. show that Spielberg did yes. in the 80s with a lot of other directors. And, it, and at one point, the Amazing Stories theme, the theme I, maybe, I think he slips the theme in there. There's yeah. some clear points where he slips a lot of themes yep. in. And I was certain that we heard that one. And I was yep. like, okay, that makes perfect sense. It, it's right. that kind of a thing. And the movie has that feel. There is a lot. You're going to roll your eyes at some of this. It, it gets out sure. of hand. There's a lot of references. Uh, but what he does is he builds it into the action. There yes. are reasons for it happening. And a lot of the stuff that's in this movie that I think really works, that makes that gives the movie some strength and some some heft in the action scenes, mm-hmm. aren't isn't in the book really. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't remember all of the book. But Spielberg is trying to sit there and consider what was important about this stuff that right. we love it so much. Right. That's a question not a lot of people ask. Why do right. I love this? What what makes it important that we remember the Iron Giant? You know, right. the Iron Giant in this film ha- he it gets to do things. Right. It's not it's, just there it is and it's right. over. There's an action scene involving the Iron Giant and at least two other very right. memorable classic robots. Right. That's a real action scene. Right. That's there has some stakes to it. It is fun to watch right. those three characters go at it and feel like you're seeing something sort of unique. Yeah. Uh, or seeing the kind of thing you always wanted to see. It's not just that ran across the screen. There's right. a lot of that. I mean, I saw sure. a battle toad. Sure. I was like, Why is there a battle toad there? <laughs> right. uh, you know, you see the Halo guys. And, right. And there's a. I don't want to. You know, now I'm now our podcast has become me just dropping pop culture <laughs> references. There's a lot of that in there. Yeah. But there are scenes that work that – the one I mentioned, the big battles, one right. of them. Uh, it gets – it, it kind of gets the adrenaline going. Right. There's a big action race scene involving King Kong that's a right. lot of fun. Yep. I couldn't also help but feel that Spielberg is really – the movie's pretty mild for the oh, most yeah. part. Part yeah. of that is because you live in a world where when you get hit, you burst into what looks like Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Right. <laughs> uh, and so there's no blood or anything. There's, right. There was one drop of the F-bomb, which is – uh, to be fair, well placed. 
Um, yeah, yeah. There's a scene we're about to talk about, which probably constitutes to me more of the PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. But it is a movie that feels very much aimed at a younger audience, yeah. which I think is interesting because most of the movies we've gotten have been aimed at this sort of now. Bear with me here. That man-child mentality <laughs> where where the 80s and nostalgia becomes a kind of right. like binky right, that yeah. we can sit there and comfort ourselves with and that's way that's the way I felt about Scott Pilgrim and some of these other movies sure. just like this nostalgia is aimed at this adult person right. whose mind is stuck back here in right. a sense well I almost feel like you you have I think Really, the first thing that really did it for me that brought that revitalization back to life of the nostalgia in the 80s without dropping all of the references is something like Stranger Things. I think this fits very nice into those worlds that we were talking about but does a good job of modernizing what we're seeing in the picture. And that's a good point, yes, because Stranger Things is that kind of Amblin 80s movie yeah. that Spielberg himself never directed. And that like that's the difference between Stranger Things and Super 8. And right. to me, I, I didn't dislike Super 8. Sure. But Super 8 was definitely all about the nostalgia without any real right. substance to it. Uh, to me, Ready Player One is probably somewhere in the it, yeah. not in the middle. It's closer to Stranger Things. It's yeah. in that ballpark. Uh, yeah, I love Stranger Things as well. The, the thing is, so this because it's made for a younger audience, it has that feel of like, hey... Let me let me introduce you to things that I knew when I was younger. Yes. This is what it was like. Yeah. And this is kind of how – or this is how I thought about right. it. And I think that's the distinction. Here's what we thought about it. They include the game Adventure, which is the first game for the Atari 2600. Yep. And for most of the movie when they keep mentioning it, it just feels like, oh, here's a fun little fact. Right. But there's a point when they show you going through the game – and a certain aspect of that game, a sort of hidden element of the game. Yeah. I mean, this is the only movie I can think of where they actually go after a literal Easter egg. Yes. You know, physically, it's there in the game. But when they're referencing Adventure, the way it's handled, it connects you back to that moment. But it made me think about what was important or what was unique or what was special about that game. Things I hadn't thought of. It didn't just make me think of the game. Right. And there's a sequence that I've been kind of skirting around. I don't want to talk a ton about it. But to me, was the kind of coup de grace of the whole movie, to me... And that was a point where one of the challenges involves them going into a very familiar <laughs> setting of yes. a very famous horror film. Yes. And we're talking about they basically walk into this thing. It's yes. a recreation internal of, of this place. And I so badly want to say what it is. I know, right? But I don't because this was this was a great scene. This is when yes. I realized that Spielberg was working the material yes. and not just going through the motions. Regurgitating the book. And yeah. this scene is is the best thing in the movie. Yeah, I agree. I think, with, I agree. Without a doubt. Yeah. And it's fun. It's yep. funny. It does. It may, And it, the whole thing it does, it, it, it recreates the work, but it makes comments about why this movie was important. Yes. Why – it's a perfect love letter to why we think that movie is great. I, yeah. You know, and everything about it is wonderfully done. And Spielberg got a chance to sort of work in this director's vein and with yeah. this repertoire once before in a very specific circumstance many years ago. We've talked about that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and here he's doing a direct homage to him and it just – I, I want to believe – I don't know that – I don't remember that being part of the book. I want right. to believe that this was Spielberg's idea, that he was the one that was like, let's do this. Yeah. And it really works. I think as an action-adventure movie, this is about the best Spielberg's been since Minority Report, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like of just pure adventure. Yeah. The movie, it's going to strain you a little bit. It's two and a half hours long. But – the performances are good. Yeah. The the CGI works, but there is that feeling of you're in a completely – even when you're in a completely uh, virtual environment, I'm not sure why things have to look so virtual. You know, right, like right. there's a point to me that when we see the Mark – Mark Rylance, who's been in a lot of Spielberg's work, Bridge of Spies, yep. BFG, he's a great actor and Spielberg knows how to use him. Yep. And he's here. He's the creator. So yep. the creator is gone, but he's sort of omnipresent yep. in, in, the, in the world of the uh, Oasis. Yeah. And I like how that's handled. The movie didn't necessarily feel too long to me. It's very quick. It moves. Yeah. But there are moments that you have to kind of just go with it. There is sure. a moment, particularly if someone who's grown, as I have to some degree, resistant to that 80s sort of nostalgia, there's a point where you have to just stop and say, I'm going to go with this. Right. 
But right. this is a better version of what they tried to do when they brought Tron back, the Tron yes, legacy. I, agree, I didn't yeah. completely dislike that right. movie, but this is a better version of it. This is a, a full movie. It's right. got its flaws. Right. It's not the greatest thing you're ever going to see. Right. It's not. Uh, it's not one of Spielberg's best movies. Mm-hmm. Part of the thing that holds it back is the fact that they made the choice to go the nostalgia route. Mm-hmm. But I think what it did allow Spielberg to reconnect with some of the vitality right. he had where uh, he could just launch in and just right. be fully energized. Right. And he's made some comments, well, this isn't a film, it's a movie. Well, maybe you should go back to making more movies, Spielberg. Right, right. Because if you compare this with The Post, which came out recently, this is a lot more fun. This is sure. a guy having fun. That's something that was true of his some of his other movies. Yeah. I don't know if it connects to the wonder because almost the point is that there isn't any wonder anymore. Right, right. You know, it's uh, the the it's more of a gee whiz kind of again. Yeah. It's that it's the Joe Dante feel that guys, I love this stuff and I want to share it with right. you. It doesn't feel smart. It's a father. It's like a father taking his son aside and saying, "Here, let me tell you what That's my childhood exactly was like." That's exactly what it is, and I like that. This yeah. is a movie I want to take my kids to yeah. because it doesn't have that smugness. It right. isn't like, "Look what I remember." Exactly. It's like, "Hey, take a look at this." Yeah. It's a completely different tone, and I think that's all down to this being directed by Spielberg and not someone like. You know, directed by somebody like Zack Snyder. Sure. Or, because I was thinking, like, there were parts of this movie, this movie didn't remind me of it, but I was sitting here looking at this and being like, so maybe this is what Zack Snyder was trying to do with a movie like Sucker Punch. Sure. Which I find to be, like, one of the worst things I've ever seen. Sure. Or Edgar Wright. And I like, I liked Hot Fuzz. I liked oh, yeah. uh, Shaun of the Dead. But when you get into Scott Pilgrim and Baby right. Driver, I just, these movies are so... They're so aggressive in their their style, and this was an Edgar Wright movie. I think I, it would have a little bit more of that tone yeah. of "Look yeah. how clever we are." Right? Yeah. Well, let me. I mean, let me see because you you know you said the film has its problems, and I I, I would say that in terms of think I think all films have their problems that they have to deal with and overcome. But I will say we were talking about spring break coming up. And if, if you're looking, you know, your, your family's on break and you're looking to go and see a movie. This is a movie that I would say, take the family to go see. Like, this is something I can remember back in the day where, you know, you said we didn't go to the theater often as kids because you have so many kids and there's just, you know, not enough money to grow around and all that stuff. And, and I, and I, it was similar in our household. Like we went and saw movies very sporadically when I was younger, but I do remember a few of those movies. And I remember Spielberg's movies being some of those movies that we would go and see in theaters. And this just, if you are a parent like in our age, you could bring your children to this and you could appreciate what was being done in this film and be like, this is what it was like when I was a kid and my dad was bringing me to see this movie and now I'm bringing my son to see a movie like this. And and I think that's a perfectly reasonable job of a movie. Yeah. Like, that's a perfect function for a movie. Yeah. Not, we don't want all movies to be that. Right. But this movie does that well. Right. We're now, we've seen most of the big March movies. Yeah. March has been huge. Yeah. I mean, in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the big movies. Um, but this is by far the best, the I, best yeah, one. I, I mean, it's the one that actually kind of, uh, accomplishes the purpose that yes. they set out to do, I think. Yes. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of great stuff in it. Ben Mendelsohn, um, great actor. He's of course the the bad guy. He's yes. always the bad yep. guy. I he's good in this. He's he good is. in he's always good. I want to and maybe they've done this already. If if they have someone needs to point me to this movie, I want to see Ben Mendelsohn do a romantic comedy where he's <laughs> where he is the the protagonist. Yeah. I want to see, I, th- I would like that movie, a movie yeah. uh, like a, a, you know, a middle-aged drama romantic comedy mm-hmm. where Ben Mendelsohn and another actress or, you know, whoever they, he's got to play off of that instead right. of being the guy who terrorizes right. a bunch of young people. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I'd like to see that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So if it exists, I'll try to hunt it down. But be, some movie where he's not sinister, where right. he doesn't have some agenda going on. Yeah, the underlying agenda. But they, do, they did a good job. I, oh, I, I was impressed because I wasn't expecting, honestly, much from it. Yeah. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I think yeah. what holds it back, when I talk about those problems... Uh, to me, it's the fact that the movie at some point is just content to be this. And they they many times tease going into really the driving concept between what do you really get? Because they do kind of hint that this is a, not a utopia. It's a dystopia. Right, right. 
what is the ultimate result of living your life into nostalgia or, or, or living in this virtual right, world? Right. So we have virtual worlds. We've created an environment that can be anything we want. Right. Think of what you could really use a virtual world to accomplish, how you could push yourself and as a civilization right. to learn about things that were beyond your understanding. Right. And they don't do that at all. Right. And that's right. the point of the film. And the movie doesn't quite ever go there. Yeah. You know, That's the moment where like, when you look at a film like AI, I feel like the difference between this movie and that one is like it, 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 it was at the precipice. To that world. It could have right. gone yeah. into AI and give us some more of those thoughtful ideas right. to explore some of its concepts more. Right. And that's the part where it just it's a little bit off of right. like Minority Report. Right. It's a little bit off of AI right. because it doesn't it's content at some point just to be right. the fun action adventure. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I no, you see the potential there. And I think in all fairness, I think the book does that too. You know, I think, oh, yeah, the, I the, think the, the source material for the book is, like you said, I think I, – I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I think it was superior to the book because there were, there were so many elements of the book that I enjoyed and they weren't here in the movie. However, I, I'll say it again. To me – this captured the absolute essence of what the book was, which is why I absolutely loved it. This is one of the rare book movie combinations that I can appreciate the book on one level and I can appreciate the movie on one level. And I can say, at least as far as the movie goes, I wouldn't change a thing about it in comparison to the book. Many yeah. times when I see book movie transfers, I'm like, why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do – how come you decided to put that in there instead of that? That was a much better thing. But the things that they change in the movie as compared to the book, it works and it furthers the story and it, it gets you to the same place. Right. And in a, in a more effective way because as yeah. we talked about, Klein is just – and there's not as many references in the in the book as there are – I mean there's more references in the book – than there are in the movie. Right, right. The movie can't even couldn't hold all yeah, the no. just crumble yeah. under itself. They they'd be paying royalties forever. Right. But Spielberg's choices, like that movie sequence we yes. talked about, yes. it's a way of taking Brilliant. something very visual yes. that that can connect with an audience. Yes. And to me, it it more effectively makes a statement than anything that was in Klein's book. But and I think if you see the movie, it, you know, there's not a necessity. There's not a necessity per se to send you back to say read the book. Right, you've yeah. gotten pretty much the same experience. Oh, I agree. In yeah. a different way. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely agree. Yeah, there. Like I said, that feel that I got when I finished reading the book of what what was being told and the story that was being told and how things played out is the same feeling that I got when I walked out of that theater. And and so I would agree with you that if if you've seen the movie, I think you've gotten that essence. Um, and, and books are always able to explain and do things differently and in unique ways. And so if you, you're interested in some of those things, yeah, go read the book. But no, it is not necessary to read the book or to watch the movie to, you know, figure out. Oh, or have lived through the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But um, but there are some. To be fair, too, there are some fun little references. There's yes. a couple oh, that yeah. yeah, you sit there and you know you're being played. Oh, I'm just supposed to look at it and say, "Ha, I know that." Right. But it was cool to see some of that stuff because there yeah. are a few deep cuts. Right. A couple of them. Well, and and I think that's part of what nostalgia is. Is to me the the things that came up with certain nostalgic moments. There were certain songs that came up where oh, you were yeah, just yeah. like. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! Yes. You put that in there, and and it's not it, it, it's not that it doesn't fit. It's oh, I wasn't expecting it, and I'm glad you did it. I'm glad and you this made is that. Probably choice. a spoiler, but there's no striper in the film yeah. that I heard. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, maybe maybe somewhere, but yeah, uh, no striper. Um, but yeah, I like so rating wise, like mm-hmm. like like rating out of five stars. Mm-hmm. What would you rate this? For me, uh, honestly, I would rate this as. Like a high, if we're talking, you know, out of five, I would rate this as a high four. I mean, I'm not going to give it that five, but like, I mean, it's it's on the edge there for me. I mean, it's up there because it's it's one that I wouldn't mind seeing again while we're on spring break. I would I would go and see it again. And if a friend of mine, like in a in a week or two, was like, "Hey, I want to go see this," I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm down with going to see that again." You know, like I could see myself seeing this a few more times, even in theaters. Um, as it is, I'm looking forward to taking the kids, and we, we're actually um, considering going to the uh, 
the Air and Space Museum and the IMAX is there oh, over nice. there on, on Friday, and yeah. it might be worth the whatever yeah. the fifteen bucks were to see that on the big IMAX screen. But um, yeah, and to me, I'm right, right there about a three point seven five. You know, you close to the four. Sure. To me, three is like, hey, this is a solid mm-hmm. movie. And four is, hey, this is a great movie. And then sure. five is like masterpiece. It's like right, right there. But right. it's a, I, I, it's not quite a great movie, but it's a it's a good entertainment. Mm. It's a solid movie. It's a movie I can see myself watching again. And I, it's a movie, there's too few of those that I feel like you could share with your kids in yeah. a way that it's not, it's not going to... Um, it's not going to turn people off, right. I don't think. Right. And there's a lot more going in on in it than yes. you would expect. This yeah. could have gone a lot worse. Yeah. This could oh, have been a have train been horribly wrong. Yeah. This could have been a yeah. mess. Yeah. And and uh, it's a difference between being Monkey Bone right. or or Roger <laughs> Rabbit. And it's not Monkey Bone. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if people get that reference. Right. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> I think that does it in Chris Catan, baby. Yes. You've seen you've seen this oh, movie. Oh yes I have. Brendan Fraser, Chris Catan. <laughs> That's one of the movies I think ultimately made Brendan Fraser cry. <laughs> but uh so yeah. Well, that's about it for us. Uh, you know, we love the 80s. Go see Ready Player One. Nice. And uh, have a good night, everyone. Take yeah. care. Peace out.